It's Chromecast 88, the penultimate podcast before we're AB5'd into oblivion. I'm Brian Murphy, and I'll be joined very shortly with my guest, Craig Goldstein, Editor-in-Chief of Baseball Prospectus. I'm recording this intro after the interview, so if it sounds different, that's why. Uh, I realized while I was editing this one that it, uh, it actually speaks to a lot of what I've been thinking about lately. I hadn't considered uh, my life after baseball writing prior to getting booted off the network, but uh, now that I have been booted, I, I've stopped to think about things uh, and go- what's going on with the league and the sport itself and the Giants specifically. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear to, if not me, then to all of you that the sport has evolved pretty rapidly over the last few years in the way that data and tech have sort of imbued itself uh, with the sport it's kind of all zoomed beyond my sphere of interest and even even my intelligence level so it's pretty good coincidence that uh, I invited Craig to do this interview he's a smart guy he's obviously like I said the editor-in-chief of baseball prospectus which I consider to be the gold standard for forward-thinking baseball analysis Uh, I'm not kidding. I mean, if you want to learn about analytics, what it means to be a sabermetrician, how the analytics are in the sport and what what they're actually used for and how they might be used in the future, uh, Baseball Prospectus is a great starting point, and I highly recommend their site. You'll hear a mini sales pitch in this one. You'll also hear a cat chat because we are both cat owners, and so I figured it was vital Uh, since we do post about our cats on social media from time to time to do a little cat chat. So if you're into that sort of thing, it's in there. Uh, A a brief warning, a quick warning, I should say. Uh, We we do get philosophical about baseball, but the main thing is that Craig is also a Dodgers fan. So don't be alarmed. That will come up very briefly. I just didn't want you to be too surprised. Um, After this episode, there's just going to be one more Croncast, and then we'll sign off for good. I really appreciate all of our listeners that we've had over the years, and I'd really like to thank Craig again for joining us. Joining us now is Craig Goldstein, the editor-in-chief for Baseball Prospectus, which, as I said in the intro, is the gold standard for baseball analysis. Craig, thank you so much for taking time out of pie-baking and <laughs> annoying people online. I think you're charming. I don't know. But oh, welcome. Well, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little, it's a double-edged sword there. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for having me and, and for the compliment about Baseball Prospectus. We really appreciate it. Well, uh, the first question I have is maybe going to sound a little dismissive or, or, or mean in that regard, but, uh, you know, as editor I'm, I'm quite used to that. As you <laughs> mentioned, I'm online. You know, people, I'm used to getting dismissed. He's meanwhile. very online. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, baseball perspectives, so st- uh, not just statistical analysis, but sort of a cutting edge in terms of how to just look at the numbers that we do have and kind of not fabricating, but, you know, pushing forward what we can do with these numbers. And so I just want to ask you if you, um, as the editor-in-chief, feel wholly responsible or largely responsible for ruining our enjoyment of baseball in the 21st century. Um, Well, I mean, I'd say I became editor-in-chief in in October. So I'm going to say largely responsible, but not wholly. I feel like, you know, we all stand when it comes to ruining baseball on the shoulders of those who came before us. Uh, so I, I'm going to say largely responsible. I mean, I, you know, I would say my performance on Twitter tends to, uh, 
not help people enjoy the game. So, you know, <laughs> I, I have some personal, um, you know, plaudits there, but not, you know, I, I wouldn't say wholly responsible quite yet. Well, I do. This is why, uh, one of the many reasons why I enjoy your contributions to the world and your personality, because you could have taken credit for, for ruining it wholly, <laughs> and you didn't. You You gave it to the people who are now in front offices, but were previously a lot like you, where they were invested in seeing the game slightly differently, but finding new avenues. And now they're just using it for ruthless Wall Street style efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> and <It's> I'm, inspiring. <laughs> I'm wondering if, if that was in your estimation, is that just where it was always going to going to go in, in some for a lot of people, maybe? Or is that just simply, um, is it like a, almost a perversion of the intention? That's a good question. Um, I think that, you know, I, I was very much engaged when I came to, you know, advanced metrics and, and sabermetric uh, analysis and stuff like that. I, I found it very appealing early on. And this would go back to, you know, kind of I'm. 33 now, uh, you know, when I was in college, early college. So, you know, between 10 and 15 years ago, um, I was very, uh, uh, you know, I found dollar per war evaluation type of that type of stuff, very alluring and uh, a simple way to understand the game and not just the game, but the game behind the game, which was like team building, right? Like how do you construct mm -hmm a team that can get you where you want to go given constraints. Um, and I think, you know, I, I wrote this, uh, at some point, but like people see, I, I think people see constraints as an invigorating way to, ta you know, to, to stretch their mind and to challenge their creativity. And, um, the reality is like, it might be less, uh, there, there's less depth in just going back to the idea of, oh, actually there are no limits and you can just do whatever you want. It's much more straightforward, right? Like, mm -hmm. so it's not as challenging on a creative level, but it's also the truth. And I, I think, um, to, to get back to your question, I, I, I don't know if this was always the way it was going to be, but I think once you had, you know, you, if you look at Moneyball and go through that whole scouts versus, uh, stats or stat nerds divide and then the the stat nerds won right like they're like you said they're in front offices everywhere every team has a R&D department every team has analytics that they use uh, to some extent or another those people start hiring their friends you know if, if those people were coming from either Wall Street or McKinsey or you know these consulting groups they have MBAs I do think it's kind of inevitable if that's the approach you're taking but i also think the idea behind sabermetrics in general which is you know it's i i'm gonna butcher the actual phrase but it's like the search for an objective truth uh about baseball that's not necessarily inevitable to to you know to move towards efficiency i think uh i remember a tweet from patrick dubuque who writes at baseball prospectus occasionally now he uh did it more frequently before but he said like the next inefficiency is going to be baseball philosophists hmm. and i actually think that's that's kind of true right like you need like we're we're looking at things through different it's a different perspective and it's still that's a way to get at objective truth right to find different perspectives from which to like different vectors uh from which to view the game 
And so I don't think it's required that it, or, or inevitable, like I said, to to come from a ruthless efficiency standpoint. But I do think if all the new perspectives at the time are coming from MBA or you know consulting style groups, that that particular viewpoint is inevitably going to move towards ruthless efficiency. Yeah, that was something I said to Grant on one of the last ones we did was sort of I don't want to have to enroll in an executive MBA program just to enjoy baseball going forward. Um, yeah. And it still yeah. feels like we're trending in that direction. I say a lot. I, so one of the people I talk to most uh, is RJ Anderson, who who's co-editing the BP annual with me and he writes for CBS sports. Um, and one thing I say to him probably three different times a year when I get really frustrated is that I don't want to be a forensic accountant. <laughs> and that is, you know, when you're looking at the CBT stuff, when you're looking at, you know, they're trading dead money stuff. And it's it's very similar to me to the MBA, which I find really interesting on its own merits, right? All the different loopholes, all the different, you know, it's a soft cap and people trade uh, contracts for players who aren't going to play and, you know, all that stuff. Like there's an it, there, there's an aspect of it that I do uh, like earnestly find interesting, but that's not what I want out of baseball. Like I don't want baseball to be that. And I, you know, trying to figure out a team's motivations for trading for someone they're never intending to use just to, to move something around a cap that is actually artificial and doesn't actually really cost anyone any more money or anything like that actually just ends up being exhausting for me. Yeah. Uh, it's not fun. So, yeah, I mean, these teams are not baseball teams anymore. They're the baseball team is is just part of. Yeah, it's they're The Giants are a real estate company. You know, Uh, I'm not clear. I'm not clear what the Dodgers are, but they're not definitely not 100 (laughs) percent a baseball team either. Um, Yeah. But I, they're they're one aspect of a of a large fund, I think, is uh, really just go. yeah yeah. Uh, so I, so along those lines, and I don't mean to make this a comparison because I believe that both sites have tremendous value uh, and they're very interesting in their own rights. But I think that's why, but that's what baseball prospectus brings to the table as opposed to say fan graphs where. The whimsy or the philosophy has been, it's built into the site's uh, DNA from the very beginning. That was always there. I I can't remember his name now, and I'm very sorry, but uh, there was a guy who would write, he passed away. It was the the, the writer who passed away. I'm so sorry, I can't remember his name. Uh, But he would talk about walks and his taking walks and his experience with nature, and, and it would also involve baseball. You know, you guys talk about other things. Uh, you people, there are women who drive for the site as well. But you know, there there's um there's a sense of baseball is part of a world. And I and and not to say that Fangraphs doesn't have its own sense of humor, but it is a little bit more ruthlessly numbers driven and it's I think that's where the divide seems to be for me because ultimately we're watching a bunch of guys spitting and scratching, you know, cussing at each other and playing you know, and wearing these very silly uniforms. Um, yeah, it's and, guys in pajamas. I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I to, you know, to what you're saying, I do, I do think that's the general, uh, or or at least the long time kind of difference between the two sides. You know, of course, 
Nate Silver developed Pakoda for for baseball prospectus. There's always been, you know, there's there's been some ruthless math at baseball prospectus as well. Um, I do think, but uh, not one, just uh, ruthless math. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, but I do think, you know, we do try, and you know, it's one thing like I mentioned before, Patrick Dubuque. I think that's something he does so exceedingly well is is just bring in these other parts of the world um, and then tie it to baseball as opposed to uh, discussing baseball first and tying something else to it that way. Right. Like he, the, the, again, the perspective is different. What I would say is, uh, I, you know, I do think, uh, you know, Meg Rowley, who's the managing editor of Fangrass used to write for baseball perspectives. I think she did a great job of it there. Um, she's, she, like me is writing a little less as, as a managing editor slash editor in chief type role. Cause there's a lot more that goes on there, but I, I think she does bring that same thing. And I think, you know, I would say since she's taken the realm, I, or taking the helm. Um, I, I do think that there's been at least a shift uh, for Fangrass. But, you know, through the Dave Cameron era, that was very much how he how he operated. He really ascribed to the dollars per war evaluation. That was kind of, you know, and he, he judged uh, people, you know, not people, teams uh, and the quality of their decisions based on on exactly that. And, I, you know, that's that's an ethos, right? Yeah. Uh, say say what you will, but they had he had an ethos. <laughs> uh, and and the thing is, I think when you when you don't have you know that direct an, an ethos, and and I don't know that I I do quite yet. I I have kind of an idea. I have things I want, but they're, um, you know, it, it it was people knew what they were getting, right? Like they went there for it. The people who wanted that got what they and they, they were looking at it. Yeah, I they I do. Did, and yeah. they do. They yeah. I and you know, like you said, I I read. Fangraphs all the time. I read, you know, obviously baseball perspectives. I read almost everything we put up, but it's, um, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think there has been a shift, not just at Fangraphs, but just in general. And, and this includes BP, um, over the last five plus years, whether it's back towards or now towards, uh, the labor focus uh, because I think that's that's where things are going. I think that, like I said, the fight for stats versus jocks is what is well over. Um, and I think at this point we now are dealing with kind of the ramifications of what, you know, what we fought for. You know, there are always I, I guess you could say some people might have them as intended consequences, but uh, a a generous person might say unintended consequences and and what that what they've wrought and we have to deal with that now and try and see if there's kind of a better way uh or or a different way that we can approach it that could result in something uh, you know maybe more equitable it feels like the what maybe the push is where everyone can sort of get on board and obviously we're not talking about the teams but, you know, the different philosophical viewpoints of baseball in the world could be just raising, you know, getting minor leaguers paid better, getting their minimum salaries raised, that kind of thing. Because it really does feel like a lot of the advanced statistics and dollars per war is really just to torpedo free agency as much as possible. And one way that you might be able to round that off a little bit is if you've got players in their first year, you know, first or second year is making $3 million, making $4 million that naturally you'll have not a market depression necessarily, but your the share of the revenue can still increase while you're not depressing overall average salaries because people are getting paid a lot more to be a major league baseball player. So maybe that's, that's where it might be heading in that regard. 
Yeah, I, I'm hopeful that it is. I think that's a crucial thing for the Players Association to to fight for. I, so I don't know that dollars per war is strictly, uh, you know, an, an anti-labor way to look at things. It's certainly, I mean, anything when you compute it down to one single kind of metric and then say, here's how right. we're going to operate from that point forward, like there, there's kind of an inhumanity to it. But yes. what I would say is like, if you, if you know, if Mike Trout actually got paid by his dollar per war, like he he would actually get more than his four hundred thirty five million dollar contract, right? Like the it the the problem with it was not so much the existence of the metric, but obviously the way it was applied, and it was applied by people looking to take advantage of it was applied by management people looking to take advantage of labor, and so th- the way that it ended up, you know, kind of rolling out was that. Uh, for a very long time, the way free agency worked was essentially if you survive this gauntlet, this six years, which then became seven again with the with the incorporation of these uh, NBA types into front offices and realizing they could uh, take advantage of a flaw in the system, uh, six or seven years, then you got rewarded. And it wasn't always that you were worth the average annual value or like whatever you were being paid every year of your long term free agent contract, but the idea was that you were either worth uh, enough on the front end to be worth the back end or close enough, right? That it was worth the risk for teams to take to try and win in the short term uh, or short to medium term. Uh, and, and that actually doesn't feel unreasonable to me in general. I, I It's still not quite equitable to everybody. It's It still shorts all the guys who don't uh, make it to free agency or guys who just have bad timing. Um, and you can go back and find guys who, you know, just every year, the year before they're supposed to become a free agent, they have a down year. And then, you know, then they're a bargain for someone else and they never really get to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, like, I don't know that dollars per war is ne- like inherently wrong, right? But the application of it is certainly something that teams used to say, and, and especially looking at the 2017, 18, and 18, 19 off seasons, they, I mean, when, when you have Ross Atkins coming out and saying not about the Blue Jays, but about the league, like no one is getting paid for their downs, the, the downsides of their career anymore. Like that's just not going to happen. Uh, that's, that's. I mean, that's I don't I don't even know the right word for it. It's weird. It's scary. Um, it seems collusive uh, on a lot of levels. Um, I, it's it's just one of those things that like it's how you employ. And, and then they say, oh, we're we're getting smarter. Well, that's not smarter. Again, I, you know, I used as an example, and this goes back to the Blue Jays, uh, Russell Martin's contract for them uh when he signed a five-year deal, I think it was $82.5 million. He was really, really good for the first two years. He was very mediocre for the third year and actively bad for the, the last two years, essentially. Um, and he actually was worth his contract. It was just all front-loaded, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when that happens, teams for two and a half years or whatever, or pl- fans, sorry, see a guy on their team who sucks for two and a half years, who's getting paid a lot without, with you know, there's there's a recency bias, so they're further away from the good years, so they discount those. And then they also just see him stinking and taking up a bunch of money on the budget on, or in, on the payroll and think, like, this guy sucks. And that makes people you know, anti-player. And I think 
management just takes advantage of that and they put it in terms that allow people you know they gave they gave fans these terms and that's uh, not they but sorry sabermetrics gave fans these terms to uh talk about players in a management style and that's that actually ends up being uh, just such a negative when you look at it from the perspective of players and and for people to understand that like players are increasingly getting a smaller and smaller uh, chunk of the overall pie um, and and you know we can talk about this off season has been a an incredible explosion of of spending compared to the last two but we're still talking about spending you know across the off season being more on the level of uh 2016-17 as opposed to the years before it and it, it's still not all the way back is the point and you know Forbes just came out and said uh revenues for baseball were 10.7 billion this year so revenues are are growing at a monster pace and players you know even if you want to be nice and say things are are back on the upswing for players they're only back to levels that they were three four years ago right and you know uh, this is also the second year in a row where the overall the average uh salary went down for the second and that was the first time that's happened in 52 years so that (laughs) there's there's always a weird again it's free agency that's kind of skews everything it's what gives Management, it's in for doing its more seemingly sinister things, like with what you said about in terms of ascribing player value or just talking about it. But yeah, I think free agency can be. It's the reason why the players have given up so much in the last two CBAs. Yeah, <laughs> right. So that was that was the other thing is, and you know, people get mad at the players' association, and and I do too. I, I think there were some there was some falling down on the job, but the idea that you can understand what they were trying to do, right? Which was they gave up, uh, or or they allowed there to be a relatively uh, hard cap. It's not a complete hard cap on draft spending. Um, for for the for the rule four draft um and then uh there they have a an absolute hard cap on international spending because there was a period where like yohan mankata was you know the red sox were spending 60 something million dollars on him uh as a young player because that's where they had the money to go and the idea was that they were essentially shutting you know cutting off all these different avenues of spending and the players association was trying to redirect all that money so that teams would actually spend in free agency. And what happened was the teams just said, no, we're not going to do that either. Like, yeah, okay, now we can't spend in these areas, you know, in the draft, in international spending, uh, you know, anything like that. But we're also not going to do it in free agency because we've decided it's inefficient. Well, of course it's inefficient. The whole point, the whole point of it is to be inefficient because it's inefficient in the other direction. The first six years of a player, or really, I mean, probably the first four to five years of a player's career depending on what they are able to get in arbitration and again it's it's inefficient when you're at, when you're not bringing up a star player or someone you anticipate being a star player because you're trying to get a seventh extra year out of them i mean all of that is inefficient it's just inefficient towards labor uh but the difference is that players don't have the option to just say yeah actually i am going to be on the major league team now right whereas right. teams do have the option to say no i'm not going to spend in free agency anymore um so it is this like i you know i think there was a it, it it felt to me i've always put it in the terms of like a gentleman's agreement like like i said if you can su- survive the gauntlet of getting to free agency there was kind of a handshake deal and said you know okay you're probably not going to be worth the free agent deal itself but 
you know, we've taken advantage you so of you so much already. Right. And that it's and we've taken advantage of not just you, but also all the people who failed to make it to free agency at mm-hmm. this point. So we're still coming out ahead, even if we overpay you. Right. Uh, and then in those two off seasons, they just they they reneged on that agreement, essentially. Right. Um, and, and that's why there was, I think, so much consternation. And especially because, you know, as you said, free agency is this this uh, kind of golden apple uh, that for for players, uh, you know, all the players who are high up in the Players Association are veterans. So, of course, they care about free agency more. Of course, they're willing to sacrifice uh, draft rights and international free agent rights. Those guys aren't actually even part of the union yet. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons it makes sense that what happened happened. But I do think the Players Association and I think they know this. I, I, I think they they are very aware of the idea that pushing money downwards to the newest members, to the guys at the bottom of the scale, will is something of a rising tide that, you know, like you said, getting right now the the minimum salary is just over 500,000, making that 2 million or 3 million or 4 million will be will change the game dramatically because it it will mean, you know, paying someone in free, you know, paying a mid-tier free agent isn't the the opportunity cost is is different. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's four million dollars. That's one player instead of that's one young player instead of four or five. You know what I mean? You also I mean, I don't think this is a I'm not actually saying this in in, uh, as a necessarily a positive. But if we're just talking about how much money people are asking for and how much is being spent, how much is Garrett Cole going to get if he's already made 30 million, 20 million dollars, 50 million dollars in his career before he hits free agency? It's a slightly different negotiation in that regard. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. And I but I, I think one of the other things that people don't think about, you know, not just in terms of the you know, I mentioned the decision between a, a mid tier free agent and a young player, but it also changes the baselines for arbitration. Right. Like what yeah. what baseline you're working from and also whether you're and this is crucial to me, whether you're willing to go to arbitration. You know, if you want to look just a year ago. Uh, Ronald Acuna signed a $100 million contract with the Braves, but it was actually, that's a huge discount for someone Mm -hmm. of his caliber. Ozzy Albies signed a, was it seven years, $45 million or something like that, Uh, or or 35, and it could be nine and 45, something insane uh, contract with the Braves. But, you know, when you look at, when you look at, Ozzy Albies, he signed for maybe a couple hundred thousand, I don't remember off the top of my head, uh, and and had to live off of that, you know, making nothing in the minor leagues. This was his chance. And if he blows up his knee, you know, or if he gets his knee blown up by someone sliding into second base and he doesn't take this deal, then he's got, you know, what does he have to show for his career? Right. Right. Uh, Whereas now he's got thirty five million dollars guaranteed. It doesn't matter what happens to him the rest of his life. He's got that money. Uh, And so, of course, it makes sense for him to sign that deal. You know, that that's obvious. But again, if the baseline salary is three million dollars, two million dollars, four million dollars, whatever it is, he might not feel compelled to take thirty five for the next seven years. Maybe he'd be compelled to take fifty five 
for the next seven years. You know, his calculus all of a sudden changes because the, the you know, his alternate, you know, this is, I so I, you know, I was denigrating MBAs. I have one, so I'm allowed to do it. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, they, they talk about this as the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Like that's whichever side has the best alternative to agreeing to a deal uh, get has the leverage. Right. And teams are almost always going to have that because they, they just have so much more money. But it, it gets more balanced out the more uh, money that players have early on in their careers. And I think you can see that when you compare Ozzy Albee's decision as a uh, guy who's been in the majors for a year and a half taking this deal to Eloy Jimenez negotiating a $77 million deal before he played, uh, uh, you know, before he saw a single pitch in the major leagues. And the reason he was able to do that was because he didn't sign for a couple hundred thousand. He signed for a few million dollars when he signed as an international free agent. It just changes your leverage, right? And I think that's that's a crucial thing to be able for these players to be able to use arbitration and say, no, I'm not going to agree to a team like a a deal that's advantageous to a team long term. I'm actually going to go year to year. And there is a risk to that, but that risk is mitigated to some degree because I've actually been able to earn some money on my way to this process. Yeah, well, I don't want to just us talk about our down philosophy, but I, <laughs> I well, one thing I wanted to say is like, this is how you know um, the owners are not really dealing in good faith and with this gentleman's yeah. agreement, because I know there are a lot of people who are listening who are like, players should be slaves and they shouldn't make <laughs> anything and I hate them and all that stuff. Um, and yay, owners. But I, I always think you, it always circles back to me for this. If it was just a, about uh, restricting certain things, I think the fact that there's punitive attachments to teams trying to compete is the yep. part that it's the tell. So why should a team uh, lose a draft pick or lose its draft standing for signing a qualifying offer uh, uh, thing? That doesn't help the team that lost the player. They all they gain they can gain a pick which I don't see a problem with, fine, they gain a pick. Why does anything have to be taken away? That's the part that drives me nuts. (laughs) Yeah, I I wrote an article about that actually, I don't know, probably three years ago now about the the QO and and the way it worked. Uh, They've obviously changed things since then, but it's always been, you know, one one thing I would say to the people who, uh, you know, maybe don't feel as strongly as as Brian said they they might, but, but who are generally don't understand why it's an issue that, you know, if a player leaves a team, that team should benefit. I, I agree, that team... That team can benefit, but they can do it without impacting the players' free agency. And one thing I would just encourage people to think about when they when they think about competitive balance and parity and why they want it. And I know, you know, especially, I, you know, I, I don't know if you said it up front, but I'm I'm a fan of the Dodgers, and obviously this this is Giants. Like these are large markets, right? Like these markets have the advantages, but smaller markets don't. And I understand why they want some competitive balance and parity. But when you think about those terms, what I would encourage people to think about is why the competitive balance and parity always comes at the expense of players and not at the, you know, it's the draft. Okay. So, so the draft is a big portion of, of how competitive balance works for almost every professional sports league. But the, the, the problem with that is, you know, you have a player who then goes and negotiates with one team. Okay. But they're, they're obviously a highly desirable player. So they should be able to negotiate with multiple teams and get their fair market value. That's the idea, right? right. Uh, except they can't. And it comes at their expense that they can't all in the name of competitive balance. 
another if you're asking like for an example of how to do that increase revenue sharing if you if you want teams on a more even playing field uh from large market to small market balance out the books a bit then everyone can try and spend as much as they want you know from from that point forward but all of these ideas the draft international caps and any time of spending any type of spending cap is always an effect of uh, taking money from the players from labor and transferring it or and transferring it by limiting the amount that they spend to ownership and to management and that doesn't you know, that doesn't really make any sense. And it's not required for parity. It's just, it's, that's not the way it needs to be. It's the way it is because of who's always held, you know, where the balance of power has always kind of rested. Also, I think people maybe don't fully absorb the idea and nor should they really, if they're just casual baseball fans. But you know, if, if you're, if we're like, if you're like us, we see these Forbes articles, we read a bit more about these other deals. Baseball has side deals that counts as non-baseball yeah. income. So the owners are making money that has nothing to do with the player's revenue, which that does not, or has nothing to do with the player's salary, which does not get counted in the Correct. revenue split share. So the idea that they still have to keep driving the player payrolls down, it's just naked avarice, which I don't yes. support in the face of why we're watching the game at all. We're not watching Andrew Friedman win the competitive balance tax trophy, which I think he's going to do for the fourth straight year. So, um, yeah, well, it's, you know, those in the division titles (laughs) will get us everywhere. Um, No, I I think that's exactly right. And I actually had it uh, confirmed to me that the, the, I don't know if you saw the, the 10 or the $1 billion deal with Nike, 10 year, $1 billion uh, merchant, you know, uh, apparel. If you didn't know everyone, that's to put the swoosh on every uniform that will be there live 2020. Correct. Um, so that's that's obviously it's a hundred million a year that the league receives, and and I presume it's split evenly among the oh, teams. Oh, I had a thought I, about that. I think it's split mostly evenly, but maybe like other teams like the Yankees. Probably yeah, they might a get it, yeah. but I assume broadly evenly. Maybe maybe some exceptions to that. Uh, but the players do not get a uh, direct uh, benefit from that. They, you know, obviously players get a cut of their own merchandise sales and stuff like that. That's gen- that's in the, uh, CBA, but it is, uh, it is not, there's not like a direct cut that the players receive for deals like that. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? You're and talking about the gambling the, deal, I think is another gambling one deal, the BAM sale when, so the, the teams created, uh, adv- you know, MLB advanced media, the most successful the- streaming platform in the history of the world that advanced our tech, the internet technology. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and they <laughs> sold it for I think a total of three point three billion dollars to Disney. Yes. Uh, and so again, the players saw no direct benefit from those sales. They don't get a cut of that. And those oh, are they not sold it, but they retain a share of it, so they still make money from it every year. Just so I, I'm just trying to head off all no, the jerks out important. there who are like, they sold it off. It doesn't count now. <laughs> it's like no, well, they but, still have a share. <laughs> well, and again, what we talk about, they sold it. I think over a course of three years, maybe two yes. years. For it was $3.3 billion. They sold it in two installments. Uh, but again, that's not counted towards the $10.7 billion in revenue that we talk about. So th- those revenues are, are like more purely baseball revenue. Right. But they they are still bit, like the owners, like, again, the, the amount that they have to spend, it's not only revenues like you have to add in all these billions of dollars that they're getting from other revenue streams. And like you said, the Giants, you said that they're a, uh, a real estate company. So are the the Braves. Uh, you know, when they moved, they got real estate in their area. The Cardinals are creating some sort of like 
baseball village or whatever the hell they're calling it. So many of these teams are doing, uh, you know, real estate development and stuff like that in the areas are in and around where their parks are, uh, if not other places. And it's all tied into this stuff. And they're, and they're, they're slowly separating out these revenue streams from areas where players, uh, would traditionally get, uh, a portion of it and they don't anymore. And so again, you would, you would think some of that would, would, run back to the players in free agency in contract spending this payroll stuff but it it doesn't <laughs> and so that's that's where like when i i know people think sites uh like bp have gone you know gone alarmist or that people are overreacting to stuff like this but it's all you know there's so much of this is very meticulously done on the side of ownership and on the side of management and that we'll are, always be playing catch up to that Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a it's a little bit like, you know, when people talk about steroids, like these, you know, testing for steroids always trails development like the, on the same, you know, on the same idea, uh, the, you know, trying to catch up to this is, is always going to trail the next like way that management or ownership tries to screw somebody because you have to, to try and get it back. Right. You have to a see it like know it's happening and then B usually you have to go through, you know, either an arbitrator or the courts to try and fix it or, or, or a years long negotiation process. So it takes a long time. And during that time, there's yet another way that comes about that, that they're trying to separate their money. You know, the, the money that is made in baseball from the players and, and from ownership. Uh, they're just, I mean, I think the big problem and, and you've, you've said this before online and, and I'm sure, uh, talked about it here, but, the big problem is there doesn't seem to be an interest in doing what's best for the game, but but only what's best for ownership. Um, and and there's just there's not an interest in like you you use the phrase it's good faith. Like this is not in good faith. This is uh, is as you said it's avarice. It's it's short term. Uh, get what's mine or Open or dumb. what's not mine. Yeah. Uh, and and then get out and and I don't care. Um, and it's, it just sucks. It sucks as a fan. I know people think like the people who complain about the game all the time are part of what's ruining it and stuff like that. And, and I agree. I try and, you know, I try and bring some, some levity or some positivity, but the reality is like, I'm the reason I complain is cause I'm in pain watching this. This is a game I love and I want it to be equitable and I want it to be, uh, more fair, uh, in the way it treats the people who make it happen. These, these incredible athletes. And I, you know, I, it's, sucks to see i don't want i don't want to complain about it i complain about it because it it it's painful yeah i that's you put it perfectly and for the record if anyone's out there listening i think the ushers and the, well, a lot of people are listening sorry sorry craig yes lots of people are listening <laughs> um, the ushers the hot dog vendors the people who work at the stadiums i think they should be making more money too there's no reason Amen. for them to be working or to be making what what little the, what peanuts they're making almost Amen. literally in some cases um there's no reason for it. So I'm going to tear up the questions I was asking all of our guests because we've thoroughly covered it. And I want to talk about something a little more exciting. Well, hold on. Just a preview, everyone. We're going to have a cat chat in a moment because Craig and I both have cats we love dearly. But I want to get your just Craig, what are you excited about for 2020 baseball? What am I excited about? Yeah, exactly. Baseball. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I wasn't ready for that one. Um, no, I, I, you know, I don't know. It's always hard in, in late December to, to think about that. Um, I, but the, the closer we get to spring, you know, it does become more exciting. I, you know, I am excited 
uh, that there's been more spending recently that that some teams appear intent on sh- on trying at least relative to the last couple off seasons and of course that's that's the danger in all of this to think that we're back to normal but as I said before we're very much not um, I don't know man it's it's tough because the other thing I guess I'm excited for the AL Central I I'm I'm curious if the Indians will you know I think they got a little bit of their comeuppance last year missing the playoffs um, I'd like to see, you know, the, the White Sox are spending a little bit. I'd like to see the twins do a little bit more. Um, but I would like to see, I would like to see the Indians. Um, I, I would like to see them miss the playoffs again. That's what I'm excited for. That's negative too. That's not nice either. I don't know, man. That's tough. That's tough. Okay. All right. I mean, what are you excited about? Uh, that's a great question. I'm, I'm not excited to see this. So I'm going to say what I'm interested in. Cause it, it's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm going to be interested to see how the, the ball situation sorts itself yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily excited, I think, but I feel like players can make it. My sense is, and I could be wrong about this, and even though I watch the Giants all the time, it seems like I shouldn't have this thought, but I feel like hitters are adjusting faster than they maybe ever have. And yeah. so I feel like if a month and a half in, it's clear like we can't uppercut or we can't, we're not getting the same carry that we had last year. I feel like we'll see some changes. I'm I am a little concerned about the strikeout rates continuing to go up, but for some reason I just have this thought of like I feel like strikeouts are going to go down this year. I don't know why. Um, right. But that's a, that's just a number thing. What I, I'm excited about a little bit more is I I kind of want to see what the Angels are going to do uh, if they yeah, keep I, trying to cobble together their average team. I was thinking about the Angels, too, honestly. I was like, you know, my, the, I don't know. My excitement, I, I almost immediately go to Mike Trout. Yeah. Obviously, Rendon there is another big bat. That's really cool. I have no idea what they're going to do with their pitching. It's like, you know, Dylan Bundy and Julio Tehran and a bunch of like, and Shohei Otani, obviously. I guess Shohei Otani, I'm, I'm always he excited about. doesn't get about. talked about, I think. It's not like going to be the tide turner for them in the rotation, but who knows? If you yeah. staff... If you staff a, a, put a pitching staff together of guys who can throw over 100 innings, which they only had one guy yeah. <laughs> last year, uh, you know, and you put that lineup together, which is a pretty solid lineup. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big Joe Madden fan, but I do wonder if there's enough, if there's sort of a critical mass of maybes in there that something interesting could maybe happen. Yeah. And, well, I mean, if you follow me, Joe Adele on the angels is uh he's my favorite prospect in the world and i think he'll be up uh this year i'm not gonna oh, say I like that, that optimism because, because oh. who knows? well i'm not gonna too. say when i'm not gonna say april although it should be <laughs> april it should be april but it won't be uh so i won't say when this year but i think he'll be up this year and him trout and otani in the outfield is, or i guess outfield and dh uh, in the lineup is going to be i that i will be very excited for um I guess I'm not as excited about this, but yeah, I guess I'm excited because I'm not going to be writing about the Giants during the season next year. I don't know if you heard, but oh, I did. Uh, yeah, just kidding. Uh, but I'm interested to see what the Giants' improvisational nature is going to do. If I, I keep having this dream, it's something I really want to have happen, where like Gabe Kapler just like he's not even in the dugout some games. Like he's just, they just use the eight or 10 hours that they have the players there at the stadium to like, it's just 
they're they're hitting in the cages. They're watching video. You know, they're in the VR machines, whatever the mm-hmm. hell new new thing. Like they're just spending. They know they're gonna get. They're gonna lose. 15 to nothing every game and they're just like well some days my bench coach who's younger than than uh, most of the people watching the game uh, who's their, like their entire coaching yeah. staff is <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know yeah. it's terrifying they're within a few age of a few years of me and yeah. i i'm in no position to be like coaching a team so that's horrifying <laughs> to me well i mean i they they all seem like they they ha- have the intention and they're gonna work hard but uh, you know i just there's so many of them at this point there and there's only so many who can actually be in uniform in the dugout that i'm yeah. just wondering if capo was like oh say no more fam i'm stepping aside <laughs> you guys run this one you know we're playing the dodgers that's a that's a lot an l right there you know i just i wonder if they're gonna get really weird with it and I, I guess I'm excited to see the hubris. Well, it's not the hubris. The confidence of saying, you know, six or seven years ago on that Sabre convention stage, Farhan Zaidi's like, if you follow uh, sound sabermetric principles, there's a lower bound of wins that you can meet, which is 75. So can the Giants keep going 75 and, 80s, uh, and 87 <laughs> while just being smart about it, I guess? And then, like, everything else is total chaos. Um, and that's what I'm, I guess, I'm excited well, to I see. Well, I think Kapler's the, the man for the at least the everything else is total chaos portion. <laughs> he is an agent of. All right, we've reached the cat chat uh, time of the of the podcast. Uh, I, let's, first, let's name our combatants, your cat's name and my cat's name. Sure. I, so I actually have two. Um, okay. Well, I, but I, ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have Artemis and Apollo. Artemis and Apollo. Okay, how did you come about? Uh, mine's Sula. How did you come about Artemis and Apollo? So uh, Apollo was actually, that was his name from the uh, Humane Society when we adopted him. And my, I think I mentioned this to you before the call, but uh, before the podcast, but my wife is uh, Greek. So that seems like an easy thing to just stay with. And then... Uh, Artemis had a different name from the Humane Society, and we just decided to stick with a theme. And they thought they were going to be brother and sister and friends, but they're actually more like the Greek gods in that they hate each other and are constantly oh. tormenting one another. Um, so <laughs> our plans didn't really go, uh, you know, the way that we wanted. But they they are living up to their names in in that fashion. I need I need their their key characteristics here. Sure. Okay. So Artemis is a short-haired orange tabby. Uh, she's kind of like a creamsicle. She's orange on on the back. She's got a you know white uh, chest, and she is the grumpiest cat of all time. Just uh, <laughs> utterly sedentary, and uh, you know if you walk in a room that she's in, she just gives you like a death glare for bothering to wake her up in in any sort of capacity. Um, and Apollo is partially Siamese. We don't, we don't know fully. I think he's like a Siamese tabby mix, uh, but he talks a lot like a Siamese and is very tall and long, uh, has an insanely long tail uh, and is extremely inquisitive, really likes to open drawers, has often done it during podcasts. He's not doing it right now, but like he just, he opens doors and drawers and then walks around screaming. Uh, he's great, but he's like a huge, like he's a huge, like very friendly, lovely guy. And then also extremely scared of like, if the, if the doorbell rings, he's hiding under a bed, extremely scared. 
Oh, our cats, then uh, Sula has that in common too. No one is, believes that we have a cat. Cause I was going to say, is, 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 it's, a, it's she, right? Yeah, it's a she. Is she, she, is, is she Siamese too, at least partially? She is, I believe she's what's called a snowshoe, which has a Siamese mix. And I can't remember okay. what the other one is right now, but like she has white paws and she has blue eyes, uh, which, you know, I think Siamese have, but she has the coloring basically with Siamese, but it's the white paws that tell you she's slightly different um and she's very chatty as well or she's pretty chatty but she's uh she doesn't like doors closed she likes to have free roam of her territory yeah that's okay that's yeah that's very similar to apollo who also has blue eyes it's yeah i think it is a siamese thing they're very smart um yeah but in a dangerous way (laughs) (laughs) um and she she definitely likes me okay but she likes um she likes the woman of the house a lot more and, yes, and yes. looks at her as though she's God. Like, yes, he is. He, I said, that, so we adopted both these cats when they were about one, between one and two. We don't know their exact age, but he, I, I said this to my wife the other day, uh, he imprinted on her at the age of one. Like, I don't know. He follows her around like a dog. Uh, and he is just like, he, he sits like directly. He sometimes at night he will sleep and put his head down on her cheek and sleep on her. Like she is a pillow, like her face is a pillow. It's a, it's a disturbing connection that I actually, like I yearn for. I like, it's sad, like it's so upsetting, but like, yes, from anyone, um, like it's so upsetting the level of attachment he has for her but i also there's a there's a deep shameful part of me that wish just wishes it was for me like i <laughs> i maybe only saying it's upsetting because it's not the attention i'm getting yes, from the cat yes i leverage it into hey that means you should feed her like that, I get it out of chores. Like, yeah, she's, she's into you right now. <laughs> I wish I could do that. It's somehow I'm, I still empty the empty the litter box and and well, I still do one. that. So yeah, yeah, I don't want yeah, I still do that. All right. Um, yeah. Well, this is great. They they enrich our lives. You you sound like so happy when you talk about your cats oh, online. I, even yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask you one last question. Yes. Uh, as as in, as implored by Grant Brisby. And it, you know what it's about. You can guess. Come oh, on. I, I said Grant, and he wants me to ask you a question. All right. What current status of any loose coins? Are they? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Oh, I have my wallet in here. Hold on. Gonna get... I'm going to set this up. Craig famously, I would say famously, yeah. talked about put it. He puts his loose coins, his loose change, in his wallet. And people lost their minds. But I believe I was one of the only people to chime in and say, I do that too. Yes, you were. You and one of the, the kids from the Cespedes barbecue. So I do want to say since then, though, uh, the amount of change I've ever had in my pockets is very minimal. So well, it doesn't so happen for you. I think people like, look, I don't want to betray our age, but like, <laughs> like you, you can walk around without cash now. That wasn't yeah. always the case. Right. You know? But I do want to point out, here's, I'm just going to, I've taken it, there was change in my wallet. I'm just going to let it drop on the counter. It's, I apologize, everyone. Just, you know, turn, turn your volume down a minute. But this is the amount of change that was in my wallet. Okay. I have, I have over a dollar. I have a dollar 41 in my wallet in coins. You have bus fare in your wallet. Bus fare in my wallet in coins. Deal with it, Grant. Um, he also he was behind. I gotta say this: 
uh, he and um, many other people were behind. I believe you had your wallet in the front pocket before he did. My whole life. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's out here acting like he's saving lives just because yeah. that one person. I've been saving lives since day one. That's right. Well, I mean, it's like, has he ever watched Seinfeld? <laughs> There's an entire episode about this. <laughs> Change in the wallet, in wallet in the front pocket. It will save your back and it will save your change. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I understand people are like, I don't like change. I don't like change either. But I'm just saying I put it there until it's not like I don't I try and get it out of the wallet, you know, into a jar or something when I get home. But like, I don't need to be jingling, jangling down yeah, the street. You don't wanna, yeah. Yeah. And you I don't want to stick it in that little coin pocket in there either. And dick around for it. Yeah. Pants. Oh, right. I used to, I mean, well, a lot of the thing is like a lot of men's wallets don't even have that. You know what I mean? Um, or like don't have like a specific spot for it. I used to look for wallets that literally had a coin, like a thing that you could clip close for, for coins. And then I got, I got made fun of too much for that. So I just, I decided <laughs> I just, I'm not going to stop putting it in the wallet. That's just common sense. It, the coins go in the wallet. Like, why are you walking around without, with, with, with change just in the bottom of your pocket? Like who? Like I, I don't understand how that's. Uh, this is. I'll make it even easier for you. Where do you carry your money around? It's in my money wallet. in your wallet. That's where your money goes. That's where it goes. <laughs> this is not complicated. And so, people act like I'm the crazy one. <laughs> so yes, I mean you. You have many other confounding, strong <laughs> beliefs. Strong I? beliefs, but you have such good humor about it. In this one area, I am in complete. We're in complete agreement. So well, thank you. That it's it's not an exception that proves the rule. It's the one that makes me stop and consider. Well, is what he's saying true? You are also one of those hot dogs that are sandwich people. But well, they are. <laughs> which we don't need to get into, but <laughs> we don't it's need the, to because it's, it's the a, D, it's, it's so the obviously it's the DH of sandwiches. <laughs> yes, it is a sandwich, but it's also the this thing, and that's what it's mainly known for. So. Yeah, sure. that's fair. <laughs> as long as we agree it is a sandwich. It's also, you know, cheesecake is a pie. I think we can all agree. Uh, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's one to it's think because on. It's made like, because it's made like a pie? <laughs> like, that yeah, would be well, the most obvious thing. It's a variety thing. of factors, yeah. but I think if you look at it, it's more, it's 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 much more pie than it is cake. It's, it's, just, a, uh, it, it's just a misnomer. You know, people get hung up on the cake aspect of it, that there's cheesecake in the name. But if you look at it, it's a pie. Do we call flan a pie? Oh, flan. I Look, I can't even get into flan. I think flan's just more of a... Oh God, uh, maybe. I haven't thought about that. It's I will. a two-way player. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like it's like a custard and a pie. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know for that. Um, it's, a, it's a good mix. Uh, well, okay, Craig, I, I don't need you to make a sales pitch for Baseball Prospectus, but there are several options that people can read the content. You can just sign up for free, and there's articles available, and there's other tiers that you can sign up for. It's a very modest feed. Do you want to make a sales pitch for the beautiful Baseball Prospectus? I, I would. Uh, you know, we have a regular subscription. It's a, it's called a premium subscription for uh, just $46, so it's, it's really not very expensive. Uh, that would get you access to essentially everything that we right including if you're interested in the stats you'll be able to download pakoda and stuff like that throughout the year uh we also like he said there's a free version our basic subscription we try and make you know at least a few articles a week available so people can understand you know what we 
do and, and why we do it, all that costs is uh, you sign up for a uh, a newsletter and you can opt out of that, of course. But it's just giving us your email. And uh, I, the other thing I would like to push for is the Baseball Perspectives Annual, which I mentioned earlier. I'm co-editing that with uh, RJ Anderson. We have a chapter on every team. We have at least 65 players per team where you get a projection, a comment on the player, and an essay on the team. Uh, and then there are so, about five additional essays uh, this year we have a foreword by Jason Benetti, which I'm really excited about. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a labor of love. It's a lot of fun. It's very funny. Uh, we we have a lot of jokes. We have a lot of analysis. I, I think we strike the right balance. And so that is, I think you can pre-order it for $27 on uh, Amazon. Uh, we have a, a fresh new cover, which I think people will really like. And you know, it's uh, I think. Also, Amazon, it, it eventually starts, you know, Amazon starts discounting it as they want to do. Uh, so you can get it for cheaper later. But we would really love it if you uh, purchased a copy and, and let us know what you think of it. I really can't um, underscore if you're checking stats all the time, sometimes it is better to just pull a book off a shelf and open something up if you want to get a reference for a player uh, before anything. So if, you, if you're a Giants fan out there and you want to, get in some Jalen Davis knowledge before the season starts, that would be a good starting point. Uh, he better be on that list. He'll be on that list. Oh, he's he's a hundred percent on that list. And I believe he's on our prospect, our giants prospects list, which is coming out uh, this week actually. So, and that oh, great. We, we have that, uh, you know, on the site again, if you're a subscriber, even at the, the, uh, the pre the basic premium level that I, that I mentioned, um, you're, you'll be able to access that. So, all right, well, we're going to let Craig get back to giving some scritches to Apollo and uh, being glared at by Artemis and, yes. um, and doing everything else he needs to do uh, as this holiday season speeds up. Um, thanks for joining us. Craig, great, great having you. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you for having me. It was a, an absolute blast.